This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Sharp Spring Ads. If you are doing ad retargeting or you're thinking about doing it, you better stick around because I've got an amazing offer for you from Sharp Spring Ads. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is Mark Pittman. He's the founder of Concord Leadership, where he's been leading organizations and teams for decades. He holds a master's in organizational leadership and is a certified Franklin Covey coach and author of a book we're going to talk about today called The Surprising Gift of Doubt. Use uncertainty to become the exceptional leader you are meant to be. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be here. So I want to start with something that I was intrigued by. You begin the book, certainly with an introduction, but prior to the introduction, you have what I would call an essay that you call Note on Privilege. And I won't ruin it for people and, and read it or anything. I'll go buy the book. That's kind of what we're doing here today. <laughs> but but talk to me a little bit about what you were trying to accomplish uh, with that, because I find it interesting. A lot, of, a lot of fellow authors, myself included, because I signed a book, my last book contract on March 1st, 2020. So I wrote the entire thing during pandemic. And there's no question a lot of things. And, and then obviously that was one of the things, certainly the social unrest, the political yeah. unrest that's going on. And so I found it, I, I know that, I, that, that it colored my work, um, or at least my thinking during that period. And so I, I'd love if you could kind of riff a little bit on your thinking on on including that to kick off the book. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. The It was interesting to me to have a number of things of converging that made it so known and privileged where I am more, much more appreciative of the centuries of structural structures that were put in place. So people of my gender identity and skin tone find it easier to get stuff done. And I think so there's, and there have been many examples of that in recent, you know, recent history and at the time of this recording, but also going back for centuries, what really sparked it, there are two things that really kicked it off for me in writing this book. One was a Twitter chat that I saw where there were um, a bunch of women that were just ticked off with a bunch of white men writing books on time management without any clue that families needed to be taken care of or dishes needed to be done or laundry had to be done. And that and the steamroll effect, the snowball effect of that Twitter chat really, really got me. And I didn't want to be one of those guys. Like I didn't want to be one of those dumb or not dumb people, but just ignorant. Ignorant isn't necessarily bad. It's just not knowing. And the other thing that happened was there's this great podcast called By the Book where these two author, these two podcast hosts live by the book, whatever the, your self-help book is, they choose a self-help book and yeah. live by it for two weeks. I, I have listened to that. Yeah. It's, okay. two, it's two women, right? Yeah. So. Two women. Yeah. Kristen and Jolenta. And they, Kristen was on a, another podcast and she said that she, a Goodreads study or research was most self-help books and leadership books are written by white men, but they're mostly consumed by women. And so I know all of my blind spots as I've been on this journey of trying to to understand structural racism and inequity. So I hired a bunch of a dozen people to review it, to make sure it was as as accessible to as broad an audience as I thought it was. Um, and I wanted to just reflect that in the beginning so that people knew where I was coming from. And it's been a real joy, a real privilege there is to have the input in the process of writing the book, as opposed to in the comments on Amazon later. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. Really good. yeah. Yeah. 
I think more authors should probably, it's it's sort of a, a dichotomy of, of, I guess, of sorts that we, we want to be up there saying we're the authority, we have the answer, read our answers. But by the same token, we would benefit so much from getting uh, input from others and collaboration in, in the process. And I, I think we'd write a better book, wouldn't we? Well, it's amazing to me too, as a coach, when I first started speaking, and I, I don't know if this was your experience, but I saw part of what inspired me to speak was I saw a lot of bad speakers that were doing stuff that was really frustrating. And, but I made the mistake of thinking I had to fill the time when I spoke and I wanted to overpack with content. And my coach training helped me to rem remember that people are really smart and they often have the answers and we can draw those out. I've been a Franklin Covey coach since 2003. So that, that really also impacted this where it's okay not to know, and it's okay to you're not giving up authority or you're not any less of an expert if you're comfortable enough to say, what do you think? Well, that's that's a great leadership lesson too, right? The greatest leaders. I, in fact, I know early on in my career, when somebody came to me, I gave them the answer because I figured that's what they wanted and didn't realize how disempowering that was because they probably had the answer, but they'd been trained. <laughs> they couldn't proceed without my blessing of the answer. And and what a what a load off your shoulders to realize that you don't have to have the answer. In fact, you're doing them a disservice by trying to give them the answers. In fact, you are high. Yeah, you are elevated to that position, or you're you're in that position to free them to do the thing. What's weird too is I don't I don't know if you've seen this, but when you actually do that well, employees don't trust you at first because it's so not modeled in our culture. Employees are wondering when when are you when's the other shoe going to fall? When is it that you're going to tell me what the right way to do it is? Yeah. And actually, I, I had trained my staff. I'm guilty. I had trained my staff. And I finally, I read a book by uh, uh, Michael Bagoni. I always mess his name up. Michael Stainer, Bagoni Stainer. I, can, I always yes. mess him up. Um, the Coaching Habit. And it was kind of the first one that really hit me in most simple terms. Great with book. Idea. And, uh, and, and you're right. I, I started telling people, I don't know. I don't, you've probably got the answer, don't you? And I had to put smiley faces and all that stuff in my, my, in my response <laughs> uh, to, you know, to make sure that they knew I wasn't being passive aggressive or something. And, and, and it, after a while it, it uh, started to pay. That's great. So, so let's get into the book a little bit. I have read, I did read somewhere this, this statement, and I think that this is probably a great thing to tee up for you to just talk about the concept of the book, that doubt is actually a signal that you just might be on the verge of greatness. So, so help us with that, because certainly a lot of people have a negative idea of doubt. Yeah, doubt in our, so much of our life, it seems to be that we see people operating and we assume they're confident. And, and, and at least in a Western culture, we've been really trained that confidence is a sign of strength. And, it, and when you master something, there's mastery, you'll be confident in that. And when we as our, ourselves don't experience that, when we experience the doubt, it can be really destabilizing. Because that's where our friend Denise Jacobs talks about the imposter syndrome. That's where you start thinking about, like, I must be faking it. Everybody else seems to have their stuff together. And I, I clearly don't. I know my stuff isn't together. And what I have found in coaching people for all these years, coaching leaders, is that that doubt is actually, it could mean that there's something broken, which is 100% perfectly fine. There's, we have lots of great therapy and other things that can help people. And that's very needed. And, and what a privilege to live in a time when we can have access to that. The other side, though, is that it could be forcing us, the discomfort of doubt could be forcing us or inviting us into exploring what makes us unique. Why is this not working for me? Why is this goal setting program not working? Why is this great pro course that everybody else is raving about not working? Why is the, when I talk to this person, why, why do they not respond the way that they respond when John talks to them? That can help us to, to go into this 
scary, but wonderfully crazy journey of figuring out who we are and organizationally too, figuring out what our organization is like, what's our DNA and what makes us different. And that then becomes something that can really bring up our confidence again, because we know why we have a track record of our differences. Why I call it quadrant three, where you're in quadrant three, where you're analyzing yourself and you're just figuring out, oh, that's why I respond this way. That's why I don't like management by walking around. I'm an introvert. I, or that's why I close my door and or open my door. Those type of questions, rather than just accepting I must be broken because I don't like walking around and talking to my staff, it, it can actually be a place where you, you discover new things about yourself and, and part of your uniqueness too. Well, and I think you just said one of the keys there, though, is you have to be willing or at least aware enough <laughs> that that you can cause that discovery. Because I think a lot of people are just, uh, you know, reading a book and saying, this is how I lead, as opposed to any sort of awareness about, well, how could I have done that meeting better? Absolutely. There, that, there were, what This book came out of a friend, Neen James, was helping with contextual models. And I she said, I was trying to explain what do I do with coaching? People had asked me for years, what, what, do you, what do you do? And I would say executive coach. And they say, oh, okay. And then they get this confused look on their face. So, so what do you do? <laughs> and so I was trying to come up with a model of what I do. And when I created the model, I realized that is, th these are the tools that we use, but they're in a different place. And you're exactly, you're exactly right. There needs to be a, a level of self-reflection or, or courage to to consider that maybe I don't have it all figured out. You can have success in all different stages of leadership and you can get stuff done for sure. But I think there's a wonderful integration of it all when we start really doing some work on ourselves. I think we become safer to, as leaders too. Oh, absolutely. So so in the the subtitle, the leader you're meant to be, could I could I interpret that to be to be, to say everyone's meant to be a leader or am or are you literally saying everyone's meant meant to be their own version of a leader? Oof, that's great. I'll take option B. I think leadership is not just a title. It can, there can be leadership titles, of course. There are positional authority, but there's also it, everybody influences somebody else. So you're you're exuding some level of leadership in wherever you are. And as I've talked, I had the privilege pre-COVID of talking using using this these concepts as a keynote, and I had people come up to me and say, "This isn't just about leadership. This is about me." being a homeschool mother. And, and this is the process I went through of thinking I was faking it and then learning, oh, this is why I'm doing it differently. These are the values that I have. This is me as there, people were just, they said, this describes my life. Thank you. This was my journey. So I think there's, uh, we have an artificial or a just a wor work focused th thought about leadership, but I think everybody is leading in ways that they may not even, even realize. Yeah, they're influencing people. Yeah, it's it's sort of semantics because you, you really are you really are doing the active leading in so many things that even getting people to decide what to order for dinner. Um, yeah, right? that's so true, isn't it? Yeah, there's persuasion going on there. There's influencing. <laughs> um, so Franklin Covey, not picking on them at all, but uh, people line up in droves and go to their programs so they can have a system installed on how to be a leader, right? Uh, and, and that's what everybody wants, right? So your book is suggesting that's not necessarily, there's nothing wrong necessarily with, that, with some of that, but that that's not the, that's not the end all. Right. I think we, what we all come to it, it's come to what our needs come there. There's a system for helping us figure out stuff, but not everybody starts at point at the same point. And so sometimes you want, you just need a coaching consulting thing or a, a formula to help you get through a, a phase or to learn something. But I think the real growth comes when you're able to see, oh, there are a bunch of different tools and you don't, I don't have to start at point A, I can start at point C 
because I've already done some of this work or that's just not germane right now. It was just, I was just got off the call with a client that there's a particular assessment that I'd like her to, to introduce her to because I think it'll really help her in her next level. But this wasn't the time for that. If I were wedded to a system, mm-hmm. it would be, no, this is the third week of calls. You must now do this. No, it's about her and her growth and her journey. And she has something that's got showing much more fruit right now than that assessment will at this point. So we'll wait. Um, I'll introduce it to her later. Yeah, and I think that that's a point of view that I've really been working on a lot um, recently. And I, th- I think in some ways, the the sort of reflective moment that we've all gone through these last few months has really kind of brought this home is that our work, especially as consultants, as, as coaches, is, as you said, is not to deliver uh, what we promised. It's to get the client from where they are now to where they want to go. <laughs> and and yeah. we get out of the way and, and realize that I, I think it probably changes. And, th- and that can be true of an employee's development. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. Hey, if you're already retargeting with Google or Facebook, now you can use one platform, SharpSpring Ads, to simplify the process, double your audience and improve your ROI. And guess what? I've got an amazing offer. If you sign up for a free account with SharpSpring Ads, they'll match up to $1,000 in ad spend. Check it out at ducttape.me slash SharpSpring. That's SharpSpring Ads at ducttape.me slash SharpSpring. Do you find that? I, I find that I struggled with that a bit in the pandemic. There were a couple of times where it was my having a coach for anybody that's looking at hiring a coach. I recommend you ask who coaches you because I think we need to, the the best coaches are the ones that are being coached or have a coach that they access because my coach reminded me what you just said. You don't have, you're, you're not responsible for the outcomes. (laughs) You're, you're guiding the process and it's there that you're, cause I wanted it to change more than this particular client wanted it uh, in March. It was, they wouldn't get out of their own way. And yeah, I had to be okay with that. I treat them like an adult. They're making so, their own choices. So you kind of hit you kind of hit on on a point I was going to ask because I work a lot of my listeners are uh, small business owners and in many many uh, instances the buck stops with them. They have no boss. Right. <laughs> it's not <laughs> culture of the typical sort of small business mom and pop type of shop. They don't hire coaches uh, necessarily. It's just nobody telling them they should hire. Now obviously that's that's a broad generalization, but it, it is somewhat true. So who but there's no it? HR department saying it would be helpful if you had a coach or no board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or even yeah. if there was one, you're the boss. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> right? So, so who leads the boss? How does the boss get leadership? Well, and that's the scary. I think that's the interesting thing too, of being a boss is that you have supervision, but the higher you raise up or, or when you start an organization, you don't have that supervision anymore. Where we have classrooms where teachers tell us what to do, homes where often parents tell us what to do, sports teams where coaches tell us what to do. And all of a sudden we're running the show and we're either trusted or either responsible for the results or we're trusted with them. And there's not that supervision. So that's where I think it's a real privilege to have coaching accessible. I know that, that I'm a product of it. So that's why I like being able to offer it too. But there, yeah, where do you find people finding it? Like, how do you find people coming to that point? Usually for me, it's a sense of almost brokenness of I'm, I'm at the end of myself. I I've done what I can do and maybe I'm not even the right person for this role when they really are, but they just feel like they're at their, their end. What I have found to to be on one end, a total waste of time. On the other end, a great solution is masterminds. So that's a very popular thing of late. And so if, if people can find the right mix. And that's the whole key. And it's oh, very so hard. True. 
It's like a chemistry experiment. And so, but but four or five people, not like 20, four or five people where you're all aligned, maybe in values, but certainly in in objectives, maybe in experience. And you're, you're kind of pushing each other and holding each other accountable. I think that's one of the best options for uh, small business owners, but there are also a lot of people out there selling mastermind programs for $20,000 a year. (laughs) But your, your point is really good because my best friend and I, we talk almost every week. He runs a business on the other coast and we create stuff together. But we have that permission where just before COVID, I went out to to his place and went through each of my lines of my business, income streams, and mm-hmm. planned out 2020 last year with, with but I, I, w- I wouldn't get, I don't give those numbers to anybody. Right. My bookkeeper has them, my accountant has them, but I trust this guy enough because we work, we help each other. So I think it can be volunteer. I don't think you have to necessarily, I think there's a benefit for some paid services, of course, but I think you can also do it from a, just a group accountability, one person or a mastermind. That's great. So if, if you are going to give a catch all description, that's mm. a very dangerous thing to do. What's the leader's job? I would think the leader's job is to help the people around them flourish in, but not, but it's not in an um, undescribed flourishing. There's a purpose that the, the team, the organization, the, the, the company is formed for, but within that, I think every people can still flourish within that common objective. And so that's that tension of keeping the common objective and finding and helping people find out if they're not the right, they're not on the right place too. helping them having the guts to be able to say there's, this isn't the right organization for you. Yeah. That's interesting because I think a lot of, a lot of leaders, I throw myself what little bit of leadership that I provide, I throw myself in this category of having tough conversations is actually the hardest part of the job, I think. Yeah. And, and, but we've probably all experienced in our lives at some point where not having that has, has made the, the problem or issue. Multiple. Well, keeping it, keeping the toxic person around can be really unsettling for everybody else too, because you're rewarding bad behavior. But yeah. I happen, and, and, but many of us that are, that I know, that I know, uh, think we somebody can change. They really, yeah. they must really want to. And that doesn't always happen. Fortunately, that's the, that's the minority. Fortunately, there's a lot of, we can hire people that want to flourish and, and XCL and younger, younger staff members are forcing us to because they're sticking around for values and they want to see the values lived out, not just set on, painted on a wall, which is great. So, so I'm sure in your work, you've come across multiple types of leadership styles, some, some positive, maybe some not so positive, but 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 ultimately ways that, that work maybe for that person, work for that company. As you just referenced, today's workplace is sort of a melting pot of working styles. In fact, I think a lot of organizations are realizing the value of diversity and and to to really kind of get some some prob what we used to call problem people or problem thinkers, right? So so how so how's a leader? manage all of that. I know you do work on personality and assessments and things like that, but but I would think that one of the toughest jobs for a lot of leaders of of a team of five or more is trying to manage that this person needs to be talked to this way. This person, you know, gets motivation from <laughs> and yeah, when I'm doing this with teams, when I do some of the personality stuff with teams, I always end it with you are here for a job. There is a job you're here to do. And so you may not like, we all have to do things we don't like. Small business owners, we all have to do things we don't like. That's part of life. But I think for part of it, for it's one of the biggest things that and we 
could offer leaders is permission to grow, permission to take some time to do your own personal development, whether it's subscribing to HBR or listening to podcasts um, and give yourself credit as that's part of my work now. Yeah. My job, part of my job involves studying leadership. And then you can find, because there are system, there are all sorts of systems that we could help you. They're just a simple spreadsheet where you list out all your employees and figure out what you want for them for the end of the year or the next quarter, and right. then work backwards, put that on the calendar and work backwards. What kind of touches do I need to do to help encourage that behavior? Could be as simple as that. Cool. But you'll know as you grow and as you listen to other ideas, certain things will resonate with you and you'll be able to implement them. <laughs> So one of the things, of course, that happens is over time, people become uh, familiar with people's if, if, if it if it's not just so squashed. But like in my particular uh, instance, if some of my team gets on me if I don't reply in Slack as quickly as maybe they would like me to. And mm. you know, what I really came to the conclusion was that a lot of times when I don't reply, it's because I don't have an answer. <laughs> and, uh, and so they're starting to kind of figure that out and not be as impatient maybe. Well, that's one of the hard things too, is to breathe into the silence, but good for you for not feeling the need to reply. So, so you want to, <laughs> I know one of the things that you have inside the book is exercises, assessments, and, and ways to, some of the tools that obviously you use probably in your, your daily. Uh, yeah, company. this is all of the coach in my daily life, but also the, all the, what I coach clients with, I give it all into the book. Yeah. So are you want to uh, tell folks where they can find out more about that? I would love to. The surprising gift of doubt.com is one way to do that. It's the Concord Leadership Group slash Gift of Doubt also goes to that same page. And that's where there are, a, you can get a values inventory and there's other other things that you can get as well. And the book uh, is coming out on the 23rd. So there are some pre-order bonuses. If uh, you pre-order it, you can, the surprisinggiftofdoubt.com page shows you some of those offers that exist. For those of you listening, whenever, March 23rd, 2021 is- Thank you. At the time of this recording. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to ask you a tough question. You have to give me a very succinct answer. Okay. Who makes a perfect client for you? Oh, the perfect client for me is somebody who's expressed a, has seen success in their past and enough so that everybody around them thinks that they're just going to pull the rabbit out of the hat again, but they personally know that they don't know how they're doing it. That's, those are the types of leaders I love okay. to work awesome. with. Awesome. I love that description too, because it wasn't about features. It was really about the problem that they're trying to solve. And I, and I suspect there's people out there, maybe some listeners who are thinking, that's what I'm feeling. I couldn't put a finger on it, but that's what I'm feeling. So I love it when people give answers like that. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Mark, well, it was great having you stop by the show. And hopefully when we all get back out there on the road again, we can bump into each other in real life. I look forward to it. Definitely. All right. So that wraps up another episode. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. And you know, we love those reviews and comments and just generally tell me what you think. Also, did you know that you could offer the duct tape marketing system, our system to your clients and build a complete marketing, consulting, coaching business, or maybe level up an agency with some additional services? That's right. Check out the duct tape marketing consultant network. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that offer our system to your clients tab.